0: Welcome to Double Truck Stories, the home to some of the best features, investigations, and character portraits from across ESPN. I'm Mike Philbrick, your host for the Double Truck Stories podcast. Remember to subscribe to Double Truck Stories podcast on the ESPN app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. A superstar in the 21st century has dozens of ways to have their voice be heard. But what if being heard is the last thing you want? Soccer living legend Lionel Messi is that superstar. While his contemporaries can be found on Instagram, Twitter, commercials, and more, Messi can be found, well, sometimes he can't be found at all. And that's exactly what he wants. In a world of 24-hour news and instant history reactions, he is a man who speaks for himself by not speaking at all. Stick around after the story for my conversation with ESPN senior writer Sam Borden as we talk about how the silence of Lionel Messi says more about himself than anyone else ever will. Now we present Stay Messy, My Friend, by Sam Borden.
1: Stay Messy, My Friend, by Sam Borden. Per Bosch contributed reporting. It is easy to find the most private superstar in the world. Seriously, it is. You just put Ogar de Messi, Ogar is Spanish for home, into Google Maps, and up pops an address in Castitafels, a gorgeous, windswept village carved into a mountain on the outskirts of Barcelona. Occasionally, the listing disappears for a spell, such as the Internet, but it always returns, and there are even reviews of Lionel Messi's place available from other Google users to help prepare you for your visit. One offers a five-star rating, and the helpful description, "Aquí Vive Dios, God Lives Here. Now, if it seems unusual that walking up to the house of a five-time Ballon d'Or winner is about as easy as finding a diner, that's because it is. Plenty of global icons awash in fame live in elaborate compounds built on swanky islands, Tiger Woods, or in villas constructed on privately owned roads with UN-level security gates, Cristiano Ronaldo. Messi's home, though, is on a regular street. The avenue has withered trees, a crumbling sidewalk or two, and a continental feel. There are uneven curbs and cars parked at unusual angles occasionally the postman mixes up whose mail goes in which box and one of messi's neighbors accidentally gets an electric bill that runs about one thousand two hundred dollars per month standing at the house even behind the typical european fence you can crane your neck to see the miniature soccer field messi installed complete with floodlights for his kids you can see the balcony looking over the mediterranean you can see the light smoke wafting from the tapered chimney You can see the driveway and the pool and the balconies if you want. You can hear the occasional woofs of Messi's dog, Hulk, a gigantic French mastiff. You can be so close that it's possible, just for a second, to believe that the figure up the street, the one with a ball cap pulled low and the purposeful saunter and the leash in his hand, is Messi himself. It isn't, you know. It never is. The sheer geography of Messi's home allows for a sense of intimacy, a sense of familiarity, maybe, but it is an illusion. Even around here, Messi is a ghost. LeBron James once bought cupcakes for his entire neighborhood in Ohio as a way to apologize for the TV trucks and fans that clotted the area. But Messi, while unfailingly pleasant on the rare moments he appears, is known only for waving back at those who live here. Messi never waves first. In some ways, that fits with the paradox that is the concrete slab on which Messi's greatness is built. He does not run like a gazelle, does not jump as if on springs, does not possess the brute strength or power of a colossus. At five foot seven and maybe one hundred fifty pounds, with shoulders that look to be made of paper mache, Messi could disappear behind a doorframe if he wanted. His old nickname, la pulga, or the flea, is generous. Yet despite that, he dribbles through entire teams. He whips in shots that crackle like a summer storm. He dazzles so totally and consistently that he has created a career routinely described as the best there ever was. So given that particular brand of wizardry, it shouldn't be surprising that Messi has conjured a way to live among the people and still hide in plain sight. The real question is, does Messi's reclusion matter? This is Messi's choice, understand, his personal methodology. Most legendary sports figures wrap us in a multi-sensory experience, a litany of things we can see, dunks, goals, shots, runs, or throws, but also a cacophony of sounds, an audio uniquely theirs. Muhammad Ali spun poetry and stung like a bee. Michael Jordan trash-talked and hit nothing but net. LeBron said he'll never shut up and dribble, then shot buzzer-beating daggers. And it's not as if Messi is following some football code of silence, either. Ronaldo suggested the reason people hate him is that he's just too good, and Zlatan Ibrahimović compared himself to, among other things, a great white shark, Benjamin Button, and Jesus Christ. All of them crafted personalities and, in most cases, messages. They were interested in conveying. They spoke to us. Messi, whose global presence rivals any athletes, does not. His soundtrack, such as it is, comes from a mixture of screams and shouts, gasps and gulps, all of which emanate not from him, but rather from the millions upon millions who are mesmerized by the sweet magic pouring from his feet like cake batter. This is how Messi has chosen to confront his fame. He is the quietest superstar. Lionel Messi is standing on a box. A few feet in front of him, a photographer lies on the ground, camera pointing upward. Behind the photographer, a man tosses a soccer ball toward Messi, who leaps off the box and taps the ball with his foot, legs extended as though he is ripping a shot into the net. It is a beautiful cover shot for this magazine, or at least it would be, except it is all wrong. The tosses are too high or too low. Messi is not timing his leap correctly. When he does leap, he extends the wrong foot. The pictures do not look right, and everyone is uneasy about how long Messi and his handlers will allow it all to go on. The sort of tension is not unusual during the few days Messi does commercials or sits for interviews. Being the quietest superstar may seem like a simple endeavor, but it is not only about a low volume or a lack of quotes. It is a state of mind for Messi, an overarching approach to, well, pretty much everything that does not somehow connect to soccer, his family, or his close circle of friends. Also, Messi does not hide his feelings about such extraneous concerns. In these moments, the unease slathered across his face is thicker than his beard. Because of Messi's general disinterest in all business matters, as well as his demanding schedule with Barcelona and Argentina—through May 14, Messi had scored 34 goals in 35 La Liga games this season—his advisors generally try to schedule no more than one morning a month, with time dedicated to promotion or media. During one such day in March, I ask a person close to Messi if this type of scheduling is effective for a player in such demand. It is the only way he will do it, the person says through a tight smile. This morning has been tricky. Adidas has taken over a small stadium just outside Barcelona to work with its biggest client, and the setup is elaborate. Tents, lights, wardrobe, makeup, the works. Hours before Messi jumps on that box. Hours before he even arrives. Lighting techs linger over Iberico Ham at the breakfast table, while men carrying cameras of varying sizes shimmy past security guards both real and fake. One of the spots being filmed apparently involves a police chase. The mood is relaxed enough until Messi lands on site. Then the pressure ratchets up. Everything is catered to make this easy for Messi. There is a tent of his own to relax in, and even a body double, really more of a freaky doppelganger. Who has the same shaggy facial hair and ornate tattoos as Messi, bouncing around to help stage shots before the actual Messi steps in for filming. Yet everyone knows that Messi's tolerance is short. He is never rude to the producers or directors or camera people or crew. He is, by all accounts, polite and well-mannered. He is just distant, half-listening to what is said around him, but rarely speaking himself. In an attempt to streamline the process, the photographer has set up a large piece of cardboard covered with photos. This is to allow Messi to see clearly the poses and images that the crew hopes to get from him. Thanks to Messi's body double and a lengthy session a day earlier, Messi can literally look at a version of himself and just copy what he sees. Messi glances at the cardboard. Two stylists spend roughly 20 seconds adjusting the drape of his jersey. Then he gestures to his body double who twice expertly jumps from the box. Messi nods and steps onto the box. None of the first few attempts is even close to what the shot requires. Messi looks twisted, and his jumps are disjointed. He's not kicking back with his trail leg at all, so he resembles a stiff flamingo. This is bad. No problem, let's try it again, the photographer says kindly from the floor, but the results do not improve. The photographer starts sweating messi begins to look exasperated he has been in this makeshift studio beneath the grandstand for less than three minutes but even the body double looks nervous messi kicks another one wrong then a toss goes awry the photographer's voice is a little sharper as he talks to messi's advisor now no one wants a flamingo on this cover standing on the box messi pauses for a moment as if he has just noticed the mood around him Then he lifts his head at the thrower, and when the ball is in the air, leaps out, still doing it wrong, and taps the ball with his foot so that it arcs gracefully in a smooth parabola and lands near the prone photographer's groin. The photographer recoils, understandably. Everyone else laughs, understandably. Messi's face is blank. Was it an accident? A purposeful icebreaker? An indication of Messi's feelings about this entire circumstance? Here is what I know about Messi's control of a soccer ball. He routinely shoots one into the top corner of a goal from twenty yards away, without much trouble. Also, two tosses later, Messi nails the picture out of nowhere, his leg kicking back like a thoroughbred. Then he nails it again. There is a cheer from those assembled. The photographer quickly moves on to a few portraits. The stylists add a warm-up jacket, the photographer takes a few more portraits, and suddenly Messi is leaving. He shakes hands with the photographer, nods to the others, and walks out the door without looking back. The body double, and everyone else, exhales. Messi's entourage disappears into the hall. It is over. Messi was on set for eight minutes. Lest there be any confusion, it must be said, he does talk sometimes. Not a lot, certainly. Messi doesn't do news conferences before games like most other big-name players, doesn't often stop in mixed zones afterward. He doesn't even speak in most of his commercials. Interviews with unfamiliar reporters or outlets, too, are rare. For this story, Messi initially agreed to a face-to-face conversation, but called it off a few weeks later, without explanation, sending word that he would answer questions only if they were emailed to an associate. Even then, he answered only certain questions, and several of the ones sent were simply ignored. Messi and I did meet, very briefly, shaking hands the day of the photo shoot. I said, hello. He replied, gracias. It was lovely. Still, there are moments. As he has gotten older, he'll turn 31 during the World Cup. Messi has put himself in certain situations in which he cracks the door. Earlier this year, he spent nearly half an hour being interviewed for an Argentine television show and speaking at length, for him, on subjects that ranged from his children, he loves them, to how a diet filled with chocolate and carbonated beverages led to frequent bouts of on-field vomiting earlier in his career. He eats healthier now. Messi also gave his take on the feeling that this summer will be his final chance to claim the biggest prize that has eluded him, a World Cup title, and make amends for the four major final defeats he has been part of with Argentina. He would like this to happen. Sometimes he even gets remarkably candid For example, last year he appeared on a Uruguayan television show with his close friend and Barca teammate Luis Suarez, the star of Uruguay's national team. For much of the interview, Messi was happy to be something of a sidekick, but he became more animated while participating in a discussion on the age-old question of whether it is preferable for men to sit or stand while urinating. He sits. When the host of the show expressed surprise and concern about the men soaking the toilet seat, Suarez said he pees sitting down as well. Messi calmly explained, "You just point it down," while making a helpful hand gesture. So clearly he does speak, even about the most personal of subjects. He concedes in the email that, "Over the years you become less timid, "I now do things I never imagined I would." But then, speaking isn't the same thing as having a voice, is it? Among Messi's true contemporaries, those whose fame crosses continents and cultures instead of just cities or countries. Many, if not most, choose to say something, to do something, to show something that is greater than the sum of their physical accomplishments. I don't mean philanthropy, messy like many athletes invests time and money in a variety of genuinely admirable ways, but rather an engagement with the considerable platform that his preternatural ability has provided. Ali used his fame to advocate for civil rights and protest the Vietnam War. The UN made Pele an ambassador for ecology and the environment. LeBron James has seized upon social justice. Messi, while seemingly doing plenty of good with his charitable foundation and his relationship with UNICEF, appears to have little interest in connecting on anything greater. Perhaps a Messi-themed amusement park to open in China in 2020 will provide enough of his illusory presence to satisfy his ravenous fans. As Messi said at its introductory announcement, Hopefully they will feel that I am around when visiting the park. Those in Spain know that proximity does not equal openness. After nearly twenty years living in Barcelona, Messi is almost never heard speaking in Catalan. It qualified as stunning news when he posted a video on social media showing his son singing a Catalan nursery rhyme. And he has never said anything substantive about Catalan independence, by far the biggest issue, facing his adopted home. How much does Messi want to avoid the subject? When I asked him directly about his opinion via email, he, or his people, just deleted the question. It is the same with Argentina. Messi has pointedly chosen not to offer support for any particular changes he wants to see in the country, which has struggled to combat poverty and crime. Nor has he told his legions of followers what he believes needs to be done to revitalize his homeland. This is his pattern, On issues of substance, Messi is a monster's shadow, easy to see but impossible to hear. Yet despite his personal restraint, it is clear that, one way or another, regular people still feel a kinship with Messi, even in the absence of anything other than his sheer excellence. Given, then, what Messi means to the most popular sport in the world, is his silence novel, delightful, a throwback to a simpler time, or is it an abdication Nobody is going to say he is not a good player. It's about a lack of identity, says Cecilia Guardati, an Argentine journalist who covered Messi when he moved to Barcelona. The Argentinian character, Messi doesn't have it. He does not have a strong personality like Diego Maradona. She pauses, then says, With Maradona, you can hate him and what he says, but everyone likes that he shouts. Messi never, ever shouts. The Maradona comparison is one Messi cannot shake. But it is also complicated. The two men are so different, despite both being Argentines and inarguably among the greatest soccer players ever. Unlike Messi, Maradona is the quintessential Argentine, brash, brilliant, and occasionally belligerent, a combination that overshadows the fact that he is also a womanizer and has battled drug addiction. Of course, he did lead Argentina to a World Cup title in 1986, while Messi has lost one World Cup final and three Copa America finals. More important, Maradona embraced his role as a likable, if overly animated villain, an erratically enigmatic legend who was entertaining, even if he was absurd. Messi, by contrast, seems to have no particular interest in being either hero or villain, preferring simply to exist as a looping highlight video remarkable but with no particular context asked about this approach over email messi said according to his pr team that today there are people with a lot of interests and everyone wants to see things in the way that suits them i prefer not to play this game the chosen trope repeated often by those around messi is that soccer is the way messi likes to express himself and sure fine fair enough maybe there is some charm in that Maybe there is sincerity that someone who is so skilled that on multiple occasions police have busted drug traffickers and seized bricks of cocaine that the dealers named after him because, naturally, it was the best, wants to limit himself to sport and nothing more. Maybe there is some simplicity in wanting to go through public life engaging only with that which is beautiful. But is that admirable? Or is it just weak? At a minimum, we can say this. It isn't an act. Those who knew Messi as a boy in Argentina say he has been reticent since childhood, that he was, in so many words, a quiet runt. They say that he was so innocent that all an old coach had to do to inspire him was offer an alfajor or Argentine cookie in exchange for each goal. For goals scored with his head, Messi received two cookies, and to maximize his treats, he once famously dribbled through the entire opposing team, flicked the ball up in the air as he neared the goal line, and headed it in. In Barcelona, it is the same. Messi's first coach at Barcelona's youth academy, Javier Jorin, says he knew right away that Messi was special because of the way the ball stuck to his foot when he ran, almost as if it was connected to his shoelaces. But also, he adds, he was special because of his shyness. In the dressing room, sometimes the coaches and players had to double-check that Messi was even there. Messi did his first significant television interview in November 2003 at age 16, shortly after earning a professional contract following a season in which he scored 36 goals for his youth team. The video is remarkable if only because Messi's center-part hairstyle and clear discomfort sitting across a desk from the Barca TV personality make it difficult to look away. At one point, Messi admits, I am more nervous here than on the pitch, explaining that when I get on the pitch I can forget everything, and that's where I do my talking. Years later, it remains his approach. When Messi returned to the national team last summer following his short-lived retirement, he did not do a lengthy news conference or teary sit-down. He released a short statement, explaining that he still loved playing for his nation, then went out and scored a hat-trick in a crucial World Cup qualifier that sent Argentina on its way to a place in Russia. It was pure Messi. Everyone knew how he felt. He didn't need to say it. It is the same on social media. Messi has 89 million Facebook followers and 91 million on Instagram, and no plans to start a Twitter account anytime soon. According to a person close to him, that is largely because he is more comfortable with images. Photos of him walking with his teammates, or training on the field, or playing with his three sons, or lounging with his wife, or cuddling with Hulk. Twitter is for words. Messi prefers art. His neighbors in Castitifels know. They might prefer it otherwise. Who wouldn't like a garrulous millionaire living next door? But they get it. The joke in the neighborhood is that the only thing anyone ever hears from Messi is him revving his car because his Range Rover has the sort of gritty, guttural, souped-up engine noise that can wake babies sleeping in Madrid. Sometimes those vrooms are the only sign of Messi for weeks. One day, a few years back, a neighbor tells me, a group of Ukrainian soccer fans who had just arrived in Spain decide to come to Fels like pilgrims, seeking to pay homage to their beloved Messi. They bring a Ukrainian national team jersey they want to give to Messi as a gift and they set up on the sidewalk outside his house, waiting for even a sliver of a moment when they can deliver their offering. Hours pass. One, two, three. The neighbor inquires how long they might stay, and the men reply that they are determined to give Messi their country's jersey. Four, five, six hours go by, and the neighbor inquires once more. We must give him our jersey, he is told again. The neighbor nods and goes on his way. The next day, the neighbor says, he receives a knock on his door. It is his gardener. The Ukrainian fans finally left after ten hours of waiting the night before, the gardener tells him, but not before corralling the gardener and, in a last-ditch attempt to have their gift delivered, asking if he, that is, Messi's neighbor's gardener, might pass along the jersey to Messi on their behalf. So I ask the gardener, did you give it to him? The neighbor says but I am laughing and he is laughing because there would be a better chance if they just threw it over the fence. The neighbor shrugs then because he knows what everyone around here has come to realize, that no one, not those who find Messi on Google Maps, not even those who live across the street from the place where Messi sleeps at night, is really his neighbor. None of us. We are only his audience, his viewers, his onlookers, a crowd of millions stationed outside his cocoon, lingering as near as we can so that we might catch a glimpse of his elegance during those times he chooses to fly. For many, that is enough. Those Ukrainian fans, bless them, just wanted to be close, just wanted to say they spent a day where the best lives, even if they really only met the guy who gardens for the guy who lives next door. They just wanted to extend their hands and feel the warmth from Messi's glow. Do we expect more than that from our superstars, or should we? It isn't as though Messi doesn't give us anything, you know. When he plays and the ball settles at his feet, he allows us to imagine with abandon, allows us to dream with our eyes open. But we also know that once the ball rolls to the side, he will vanish. We know there will be no memorable advertising campaigns or political endorsements or social commentary or calls to action from Messi. Know that he will not lead us anywhere other than toward the goal. With Messi, we will get only these instants, these moments, these flashes. And it is enough because it has to be. Because Messi does not worry if we want more or need more than that from him. Because Messi does not worry at all. For the quietest superstar, the game is all that has ever mattered. The rest is just noise.
0: Joining me now in studio is ESPN global sports correspondent, Sam Borden. Sam, thank you for making the time. Absolutely. Glad to do it. So let's talk about Lionel Messi here. This is, um, the when I read this piece that you did, which was great, as researched and meticulously examined as much as you can do that, as as Lionel Messi will allow you to do, I got the feeling more that it was it, it, part of it was in like as I'll say probably a million times that we're all guessing here that it's about control that he can control what he does with the soccer ball he can control how hard he is on the pitch but he can't necessarily always control a conversation so his thought is like maybe I just won't have it
2: yeah it's it there are a lot of sort of philosophical or psychological evaluations that can be done on his approach to publicity and being famous and I think you know it's hard to say for sure part of it i think is a, is a legitimate social anxiety i think if you the thing that really stood out to me is if you look back at you know the way he was as a young boy everybody who knew him then said he was largely the same that he was reserved that he was quiet that he was you know sort of cautious about what he said and did and obviously as the spotlight grows and grows and grows and grows to the point now he's like maybe the most famous person in the world or one of the most famous people in the world, I think that just becomes more exacerbated. And so Mm -hmm. in some ways you could argue that we are just seeing a really more extreme version of what Messi has been his entire life.
0: But what's interesting is like some of the little tidbits you had here and there and like when you talked about that interview he had on the Uruguayan television show where he talked about like some of his bathroom habits or other things, (laughs) but it seemed like you could almost like feel from like you're telling the story that oh this isn't going to be about soccer and my legacy in the world or whatnot. So, I can kind of control this conversation with my answer because it's there's really only so much it can actually be.
2: Yeah, I mean, I th- I think too that uh, there's no doubt that like most of us, as he's gotten older, he's become a little more comfortable in his own skin. You mm-hmm. know, and I think we do see that. In, whether it's in the interview that you talked about or he's talking about whether he pees, you know, standing or sitting <laughs> or, you know, in, in exchanges that he's had with fans or in his celebrations, which are a little more elaborate now than they maybe were when he was younger. Um, I think there's no doubt that he's more comfortable. He's got a family now. He's got a wife now. He's been in Barcelona for a long time now. All of that plays into it. But I think at its core, it's still very clear that this is a guy who really has no use for fame. It's not something that is particularly important to him. And I think in general, it's not something that he aspires to in any
0: way at all. But in, in taking that point about fame and something he has no use for, it also, for someone who has no use for it, almost like part of what I thought I got out of like your piece was that he doesn't find it useful or important to anybody. And by that... When you deal with, like, well, how come Messi isn't talking about what's going on in Argentina or uh, Catalan independence or whatnot? And almost to the point of your premise about his silence, it seems that his silence is like, I'm not going to stand up and tell you, don't listen to me just because I can kick a soccer ball. But by not saying anything, I'm actually sort of saying You shouldn't listen to me just because I can kick a soccer
2: ball. Right. I mean, I suppose you could, you could look at it as a larger sentiment about the idea that athletes have this sway at all and whether he thinks that's, you know, good or bad. And I guess you could look at it as maybe he thinks it's bad. To me, I think the, the, the critical component of evaluating his choice or his stance is how do you feel about the idea that if you have a platform, you should use it? You know, Mm -hmm. like whether you agree or disagree with LeBron James on social justice or Muhammad Ali on the, the war and the draft. I think there is something respect respectable about recognizing. I have this audience. I have this platform. I have the ability to speak and influence mm-hmm. and I will use it on something more than just let me sell you a credit card or a restaurant right. or a pair of soccer cleats. You know what I mean? Yes. And so I think that, if you're going to be critical of Messi in any way, it's that he has this tremendous platform mm-hmm. and really, you know, yes, he has some charity involvements. He has, does work with UNICEF, but he doesn't seize it in the way that we have now seen a lot of modern athletes really step up and use it in a way that they find to be more substantive than just the, you know, typical commercial and corporate pursuits.
0: Whereas like your point is saying that like, I get, I have what I want. Athletic, some of the, some other athletes you mentioned, I have this athletic fame, yet with it, you know, the line from Spider-Man movies with great power comes great responsibility, taking on that word responsibility, where maybe some of them feel like, at times, like, I don't necessarily want to do this, but I should do this, where Messi is like, I don't want to do this, I'm not going to do this.
2: Right, and and, I, and it should be said that, um, you know, sort of to follow on that line from the, from Spider-Man, it isn't that he abuses it. It's not like Correct. he is using fame and acting you know, violently or irresponsibly or being a poor example for all of the fans that look up to him. So, you you know, you could say like, all right, at least he's being respectful of Mm -hmm. in terms of a behavior standpoint of what he has. But at least for me, my approach when in reporting this story was, I think there's a pretty significant segment of the fan population that wants more than that from its athletes these days. And Messi does not deliver that. And why is that the case?
0: Right. And I and in the portrait that you made of Messi in this piece the most unmessy thing that of the portrait you gave that I got out of this I said like, wait what and I went back to like did i just read that talking about a messy theme park in china and he says hopefully they will feel that i am around when visiting the park and i and this goes back to an early part in the piece where you talk about like what cristiano ronaldo said or Zaltan ibrahimovic about like Comparing himself a little bit, like I'm kind of (laughs) Jesus-like, right? (laughs) That seems like having a park themed after you would be more of that vein, and the complete opposite of the person he is.
2: I agree. I mean, it is it is incongruous. I think that the one thing that I hope came across a little bit um, is that he is has a very tight circle of people around him. Mm -hmm. He has, you know, his uh, brother, his father, and like a few close advisors. And he largely follows them. I mean, in some ways, that has been to his detriment. You know, he had um financial, he had legal issues with the Spanish government over tax, you know, tax right. fraud, essentially. And his defense was, I had no idea because I don't sign any. I mean, I literally just sign what people tell me, put in front of me. Right. I don't handle any of that. And frankly, the judge accepted that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that defense. And so I think that it is clear yeah. that when it comes to sort of these larger pursuits, a lot of it is just, well, Somebody told me this is a good idea, so we should do it. And obviously, Messi, like most athletes, is looking to expand his brand as much as possible in some of the biggest population centers in the world, China being one of the biggest Mm -hmm. for all of these global icons like Ronaldo, like LeBron, like Messi. And so, you know, the theme park, I think, I didn't look at it really as anything more than a financial play that was almost surely pushed by people around him and not by Messi himself.
0: Right. Would you get the feeling that it's almost that sort of, you know, this is the European version of where there's like you hear stories, and we've done thirty for thirties. I like call broke about some athletes that feel this great responsibility. To your point about his sort of entourage, are people that are related to him that maybe like this is something that can provide for them?
2: Yeah, I, I think so, and I think that look, you know, whether whether you or I or anybody is talkative or not talkative, when you have a wife and children and came from a you know middle class upbringing the idea of making lots and lots and lots of money, literally like uncountable sums of money, mm-hmm. is appealing, whether you're yeah. a, you know extrovert or an introvert. And so I think there is obviously some element of that at play too. Mm-hmm. But in my mind, when you look at Messi's approach to fame, sort of writ large, the the expansion into China, whether it's a theme park or an advertising campaign or whatever else, is really more of a financial play and less having to
0: do with the idea that I want to have my voice heard around the world. And going back to what you were saying um, uh, about like the signs, what was in front of him and the people around him and um, to be this quiet, what kind of in your experience with what other people you've seen and when you were at the photo shoot, as you mentioned to the piece, what kind of entourage you do you need to be that famous and that quiet? Like, is it a big one? Is it a small one? Or I, you
2: know, it's funny. I mean, I've done I have done interviews uh, with certainly plenty of you know um, sports stars of varying degrees of fame. I would say that Messi's entourage was like in in the middle. You know, I mm-hmm. didn't find it to be over the top, but it also wasn't like one person. Hey, yeah, it wasn't like he showed up in a car. Here's by Leo. Himself. Here's Sam. Right? No, yeah. he didn't drive himself in that. You know, as far as I could tell, but I think that. It is indicative of his general approach, which is he trusts very few people and the people that he trusts, he relies on. I mean, during the photo shoot, the only person speaking to him, you know, directly was his guy. Mm -hmm. You know, the photographer would speak to Messi's guy and Messi's guy would speak to Messi and say, do this, do that, do the other thing. Mm -hmm. And I think in general, that's the approach. It's It all filters through him. You know, after the piece ran, we heard... From Messi's camp, and they didn't love it. You know, they thought it painted him, you know, too much. I think as an introvert or detached. Yeah. Um. But I, you know, it wasn't like I heard from Leo. I didn't get an email from him. I didn't get any direct contact from him. It was only, well, this is how we feel about it. And when I right. said, how does he feel about it? It was, well, this is how we feel about it. You know what I mean? Yes. So there is always that layer or two between what you're getting from him and what is
0: purported to be from him. You know what I mean? Yes. And in a sense to your point that I don't know how you could argue against that. If you know, you, like with a little bit of hint of sarcasm talking about the time that you got to meet him. you were like, Hey, thanks. And he was yeah, like, yeah.
2: Gracias. Well, that was right. Sure. Exactly. That was, I and said, that was that, it. I, my, the response was, I respect your opinion, but it's a little bit disingenuous to be, <laughs> to say, Hey, you painted my guy as detached and introverted when you canceled an in-person interview and the only questions that you would answer were over email. And even then you sort of deleted and edited the questions that you wanted to answer on your own. right? So I, you know, I said like, well, I appreciate your perspective. I can't give it a ton of, you know, weight because, you know, this is how you guys acted in the execution of this whole thing.
0: (laughs) Right. So do you feel though, that going back to the entourage for just one second, do you feel that they were involved in the answering of those? Or do you think he was like if you sitting ask, down in front of a computer and answering himself.
2: I definitely don't think that. If you asked me what is the most likely scenario, having met him and the people around him, I would say that the most likely scenario would be somebody received these questions, sent them to somebody else who's closer to Messi, who looked at these questions and said, all right, well, I don't like this, this, this. I'm mm-hmm. going to change this, blah, 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 blah. And then had a brief phone conversation with um, Leo himself. Mm-hmm. Maybe asked a few of them you know, jotted down some of larger thoughts, put them into more of a coherent form and sent them back. Which, which I think is why, frankly, I didn't, I tried not to give a lot of credence or space to those answers because I, you know, I don't know the
0: providence of those thoughts, you know? Yeah. Well said. But um, here's something that I also thought was so interesting in, in some of the other podcasts we've done. One, we, uh, and people we've looked at like uh, Ichiro Suzuki and, You find that some of these athletes, in order to get where they are at that elite level in their prime when they're older, you look back to your point earlier about, like, he was very driven and introverted and kind of quiet as a kid, and almost like, not like a robot with soccer, but, like, that's what he did. That's what everyone knew. He did nothing else. And the same thing with Ichiro. So then when you go and you mention his family and you talk about how people could peek and they could say, oh, look, there's the mini soccer field he built with those beautiful lights for his kids who he loves – and the same thing, it was with Ichiro about how, you know, his wife and his family, what always fascinates me is like, how on earth do these people meet anybody, let alone someone to, wow, I'm going to spend my rest of my life with this person and get married?
2: Yeah, it it is remarkable. I think that that is, when you talk about famous people, whether it's athletes or entertainers or actors or whatever, there's no doubt that it is a difficult thing to do to find somebody who really understands you when you're living your life in the spotlight i think you know to your point what i tried to do and it's very difficult that i'm sure like Wright thompson would tell you about his Ichiro piece you know when you don't have access to the person themselves mm-hmm. uh, in any way in any meaningful way it's difficult not to paint them sort of in a one-note way right. And you want to be able to reflect the fact that you know these are real people and they mm-hmm. have you know multiple facets to them the way we all do and so i think like That was what I was trying to do by going to where he lives and talking to the people around him and seeing what that what that circumstance is like, because he isn't just a soccer player and he isn't just an introvert. You know what I mean? Mm. He is also a family guy. He also provides for his kids. He also, you know, cares about what his children do and what his dog does, you know, (laughs) like. All of these things matter to him the way they matter to you and me. And so I, I wanted to represent that as much as I could, despite the fact that, you know, we're you, I was doing what, you know, what we call a write-around, mm-hmm. you know, uh, yes, it's a write-around about a very, very famous person, but it's still a write-around, you know? Right. And you, I, you have to sort of respect the difficulty
0: that comes with that and try to not make the reader feel that. So when his career, playing career, is over, do you think, he will slip into the, as you mentioned, the void of Google maps and disappear. Or would you say, I mean, vocal for him, more of a role where if people aren't really judging his play anymore, that he could be more open. And no matter what he picks, do you think he cares? Is he the one kind of guy that cares about his legacy from what you've been able to interpret?
2: I don't think so. I I don't, I think that he has an odd relationship or dynamic with Argentina, you know, which is understandable. I mean, he Mm -hmm. left that country at such a young age and has really become sort of the heart of Barcelona and another country in Europe. Um, and I think that his perception or how he is perceived in Argentina bothers him to some degree. You know, the mm-hmm. comparisons to Maradona, for sure. The lack of success you know, relatively with the art national team as opposed to with Barcelona. I think that does bother him. You know, this is not a perfect comparison in any way, but I think often when I think of Messi, a little bit of Pete Sampras. Mm-hmm. And like he was, you know, for a very long time, like the best tennis player in the world and when he retired you know he isn't a he isn't visible he isn't Mm -hmm. doing commentary he isn't on television he isn't you know in our face in the way that he was when he was winning all the time and i think uh, in a lot of ways the parallel will be similar i think when messi retires you know will we see him you know sure we'll see him in an adidas campaign maybe or you know in some kind of a unicef thing but i think
0: largely he will disappear and i think he'll be more than happy to do that now, his fame is obviously brought on by like his otherworldly ability to play the game and the awards he's won to go with it. But do you think his fame is in this era of news junkie, break it first, 24 hours a day of information? Do you think the mystery of his silence is, increases his fame? I don't know that it
2: increases his fame. I mean, you know, in some ways it I mean, argue, it makes him more
0: appealing I guess. Well, right. I mean, in some ways you could argue want to know more.
2: from a direct perspective it it hurts it. I mean, he doesn't have a Twitter account, so when you know, when you talk about sort of like, you know, the social scores of a celebrity, mm-hmm. he's missing, you know, whatever 150 million followers or whatever it would be, you know, for as compared to, you know, Ronaldo or LeBron or these guys that are on literally every single platform. I do think that there is something to what you're saying though. I think that there is a simplicity to his image that allows him to be universally beloved. You know, he is for lack of a better word, unconfrontational. uncontroversial, right? Mm-hmm. Nobody says like, man, I hate that thing. Messi said, you know, right. or, Oh, I wish he would just focus on the game. That is what he does, you know? So there is that element of the fan base that I think wants that purity mm-hmm. and he appeals to that. But I think largely, you know, from a, a, a greater, a greater perspective, a more macro perspective, I think it probably hurts it. I think, you know, the more visible you are, the more famous, you know, you will become. And yes, he's tremendous. He's a great player. But, you know, if you buy into the idea that, you know, when you're talking about celebrity, you know, no new, you know, there's no such thing as bad news. You know, any news is good news or any any news is helpful news. A lot of times there's no news with Messi. And I think that does hurt him from sort of a, you know, solid Q rating
0: score. And it's interesting. It's sometimes it's, In the world of celebrity, it seems that different is wrong for many people. Like, you know, oh, you're not doing what everyone else is doing. But in many ways, you could argue that, you know, this probably isn't – the Twitter investors probably wouldn't want me to ever say it. But I've often thought that athletes with a Twitter account is like athletes that, like, go out to a club carrying a gun. Like, the night never ends with, well, thank God I had that. Yeah. Yeah. So in a way, like, some of the – maybe a mix more, but maybe – you could argue that maybe he's actually doing more right than wrong in what some people and what and I'm saying in arguing against his critics that say he should do this, 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 and this.
2: well, that's the thing I think that you know, judging by the feedback I mean other than Messi's camp, the feedback to the story was largely positive, you know, either a. I didn't know that about him or it's interesting that this is his approach or B, this is what I love about him, that he is so simple that he does just focus on the game. All I want is for somebody who enjoys and revels in the, you know, the sport. Mm -hmm. And I I think that, you know, you could argue that that is a good approach. I mean, that for somebody, especially if you're uncomfortable being in the spotlight, why try to fake it? You know, don't tweet, don't um, put yourself out there, don't do a million interviews because, If you're not comfortable in that circumstance, the odds that you're going to do something wrong or bad or foolish or say something you know idiotic is greater. And so I suppose you could argue that in a lot of ways, Messi is playing to his strengths with this approach in that he doesn't love doing the publicity stuff, so he doesn't do it because there's if he does, there's a greater chance he's going to screw it
0: up. It's, yeah, it's I mean Abraham Lincoln, it's better to be thought a fool and then open your mouth and remove all doubt.
2: Exactly, uh, and I think the thing that I was trying to get at with this piece too is is not to say that. He owes anybody anything. Right. But just that he has made a clear choice, and that choice is counter to what a lot of other people that are in the same sort of stratosphere as he is, what they have done. And do we want or need more than that from him? Maybe most people will look at that and say we don't, but I think given what being a sports megastar has come to be or come to mean mm-hmm. in this era that we live
0: in— I think it's a question that, you know, needs to be asked and is worth some consideration. Well, we'll definitely see how this all plays out as the years go on. But Sam Borden, thank you so much for your time. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Remember to subscribe to Double Truck Stories Podcast on the ESPN app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks again, and we'll be back soon with more Double Truck Stories Podcasts.